The following message, entitled, Words of Authority, Part 17 of the series, I Am the Book of John, was given by Stephen L. Trogi on the 26th of February, 2012, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. I haven't met you. Thanks so much for coming this morning. If you could please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 7. We are in the middle of our series on the book of John. Before we get started, I want to pray, and if you would join me this morning, I want to pray for, there's a pastor in Iran named uh, Youssef Nardakani, and I don't know if you've followed this story at all or not, but it seems like he's coming close to facing execution for his faith in Jesus. And a lot of people in the United States have been, and probably all over, all over the world, have been praying for him. Um, there's a petition being signed for the government. But I just want to pray for him that he would stand strong in his faith in Jesus, that he would not, as the pressure is put on him to renounce Jesus, that he would not renounce Jesus, but that he would stand firm in his faith in Jesus. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this morning, and we thank You that we can join together as Your people. I thank You, God, for the privilege we have and the freedom we have to worship Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our living King. And Lord Jesus, we pray for Pastor Youssef in Iran that You would please, first of all, Lord, please do not let him be executed, Father. We pray that the government of Iran would free him, that they would recognize your authority, Jesus. You are the King of Kings, and we pray, Lord, that they would set this pastor free. We pray that you would strengthen Pastor Youssef, that you would protect his faith, Lord Jesus, as he faces the possibility of execution for belief in Jesus. Lord, would You strengthen him by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray for his wife and his children that You would strengthen them and that as they watch their dad walk this out, that they would be um, strong in their belief in You too. And Lord, we just pray that He would be set free, Father. Thank You, Lord. Lord, we also pray that You would meet us this morning as we study Your Word. God, what an incredible privilege it is to be spoken to by the God of the universe from the Bible. Lord, help us this morning. Give us hearts to hear Your Word, Father. Let us see more of You. Thank You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, if you could open to John chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 14 to, I believe, verse 23. Verse 24, actually. A couple months ago, uh, I read this article on the internet, and uh, it's a very short article, so I'm just going to read the whole thing to you so you can read what I read. It says, A teenager has been arrested. This is true. This is from, I believe it was from a newspaper in Florida. A teenager has been arrested on felony charges of masquerading as a physician's assistant 
in the Osceola Regional Medical Center's emergency room, Kissimmee police said. Matthew Scheidt, 17, was picked up Friday after hospital officials called police earlier this week about suspicions that he was an imposter. Now listen to this. While working in the busy emergency room, Scheidt performed CPR on a patient in cardiac arrest, performed physical examinations and other forms of care to an undisclosed number of unsuspecting patients. When I read that article, it kind of freaked me out because when I go to the doctor, I want to know that my doctor knows what he's talking about. I want to know that my doctor who's giving me advice about my health and telling me what medicine I need to take, I want to know that he has some authority and that he doesn't, he's not getting his information from Wikipedia or WebMD. or I don't know where this guy got his info, but I want to know that my doctor has some authority to what he's saying and then that, that he has been taught by other doctors and that he's been to school for medicine. I don't want some guy just coming in. If I'm going into cardiac arrest, I don't want some nobody doing CPR on me. I want a doctor doing CPR on me. And this kid, he had, this kid Matthew, he had no authority to speak or act like a doctor. He had no degree. He had no training. And yet he did. And the point is, authority matters. Doesn't it? It matters. Authority matters to us. And in this passage that we're going to read this morning, that's the issue. The issue is authority. And we're going to see that Jesus' authority matters. And if Jesus was simply making up the words He was saying, if He was speaking on His own authority, if He was just making up all His teachings, then we shouldn't listen to Him. But if Jesus spoke with authority from God, that changes things. So that's the issue this morning. Authority. What's Jesus' authority? So let's read John 7, starting in verse 14. It says, About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. This passage, it drops us into the middle of a major Jewish holiday uh, called the Feast of Booths. And so, 
what the Feast of Booths was, thousands of people would gather together in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate and remember how God had provided for the people of Israel in the wilderness. And so Jerusalem was a packed, hopping place, buzzing with activity, lots of people. Uh, they constructed these small shelters to remind them of how God had cared for them when they were in the wilderness. And during the middle of the feast, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem and he begins teaching in the temple. And as Jesus is teaching, people are blown away. There's electricity in his words. His words are gripping people and detonating inside of people. Jesus' words are having this incredible effect on people and everyone's mesmerized by what he's saying and he has them on the edge of their seats. And as they're listening to him, the people are, there's two reactions, they are amazed but they're also perplexed. And verse 15 tells us why they were amazed and perplexed. Look at verse 15. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? And so they're saying to one another, How does Jesus have such power in His words? How does Jesus have such authority and electricity and there's so much insight and wisdom in His words? Where did this come from? This guy has never studied. See, Jesus, He never had any formal theological training. He never studied with any of the great rabbis of the day. He didn't have letters after his name, like MD or PhD or Esquire. And if you went into Jesus' house, you wouldn't have seen, uh, like when you go into, the, I don't know, like the dentist or the doctor, they always have their diplomas hanging on the wall. I'm not exactly sure why. That never like instills a whole lot of confidence in me just to see a diploma hanging on the wall. But anyway, you wouldn't have seen Jesus' diploma hanging on the wall. Because he never trained. He never had formal theological training. He was just Jesus. He was a carpenter. He was a simple, blue-collar, black coffee-drinking guy. There was nothing fancy about Jesus. And yet when Jesus spoke, He spoke like no one else. His words had a depth of wisdom and profoundness like nobody had ever heard before. Like even the most educated rabbis and people were gripped by what he was saying. And he communicated about God in a way that no one had ever heard before. And I was just trying to imagine, what would it have been like to hear Jesus speak? What would it have been like? I'm just imagining everyone sitting together and it being so quiet. Because remember, they didn't have amplification, so it's everyone is quiet on the edge of their seat trying to catch every word that Jesus is saying. It's, there's a, uh, a buzz in what He's saying and everyone's listening. It would have been incredible. I wish I could have heard what it was like. And Jesus, He hears sort of the rumblings of what people are saying. He hears people talking about how This guy doesn't have any education. He hears the questions people are asking. And so, in verse 16, look at what he answers. He says, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And the reason he says this, when a rabbi would teach, he would quote rabbis who had come before him. So that... It didn't sound like he was just making up his teaching. He would say, you know, he's teaching and then he would say, as rabbi such and such said, we remember. He's quoting, they're quoting rabbis that come, that have come before and taught before. It's kind of like 
I've watched way too many episodes of Law and Order. It's kind of like when a lawyer references a case that has come before and says, Your Honor, this is, we can do this because as was shown in the people versus this case, they would quote what had happened before. They were establishing a precedent for themselves. And Jesus, He wants people to know that He's not just making His teaching up. He's not just running his mouth. He's not another religious whack job making up new strange religious teachings and new crazy ideas about God. And so he says, my teaching, it's not my own. It's the one who sent me. And when he says this, he's making, Jesus is making an incredible claim. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I am so close with God the Father, so near to God, so in step with my Father, so united with my Father, that the very things God says, the very teaching of the Father is my teaching. We are so closely united together. I'm not teaching my own words. I'm teaching what the Father says. I'm teaching directly what I see the Father doing and what I hear the Father saying. Jesus isn't receiving His words from rabbis that have come before. He's not receiving His teaching from scholars. His teaching is coming directly from God. And in the Old Testament, if you think it, when you read through the Old Testament and you see Old Testament prophets speaking, do you remember what they always say before they speak? They say, thus says the Lord. You ever notice that Jesus never says that? Jesus just says, I say to you. Jesus is saying, I am so close with God the Father that what the Father says, I say. God's the Father's teaching is my teaching. And Jesus spoke with the very authority of God Himself. And God the Father speaks to us through God the Son. And every single word the Son says has the authority of the Father behind it. Every single word that Jesus speaks has the full backing and authority of God the Father, the Creator of the universe. And Jesus is the visible display to us of God the Father. And whenever we see Jesus, we're seeing the Father. And whatever Jesus speaks, that's the Father speaking. And so whenever, I love this, whenever, think about how this applies to our lives. Whenever Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, we can stake our hope on those words. We can stake our lives on those words. Jesus didn't just make up those words to make us feel good about ourselves. Those are the words of God the Father spoken to us through Jesus. Don't be anxious about your life. We can cling to those words. We can rest in those words. We can trust in those words and throw all our weight on the words of Jesus. And whenever Jesus says, whoever believes in me will have eternal life, That's not just Jesus speaking, that's the Father speaking. And you know what? I'm staking my whole eternity on that. I'm staking my eternity on the authority that God the Father gave to Jesus to speak. That Jesus said, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. I'm staking everything I have on that. And whenever, this is where it gets really down to the the nitty gritty. Whenever we disobey or don't believe the words of Jesus, or any of the words of the Bible, do you know what we're really saying? Here's what we're saying. Jesus, you didn't have the authority to make that statement. Jesus, you don't have the authority to say that. So, for example, for me, I'm prone to the sin of worry. 
It's just one of the sins I've always struggled with. And every time I sin and worry, here is what I'm saying. I'm saying, Father, even though You said, do not worry, Jesus, even though You spoke the Father's words about not worrying, I don't believe that You had the authority to tell me that. I don't respect Your authority. I'm going to set up my own authority and I'm going to worry. That's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? Father, even though You commanded me not to worry, I don't respect that authority. Jesus, even though You said, don't be anxious about your life, I'm sorry, Jesus, I don't respect Your authority. I'll be my own authority. Or, for example, every time I give in to the sin of lust, what I'm saying is, Jesus, even though You commanded against lust, you know what? I don't respect that authority. You don't have authority over me. I'm going to do what I want to do. Thank you very much. Or every time I wallow in guilt and condemnation for my sin. Every time I I am just wallowing in guilt and condemnation, here's what I'm saying. Jesus, I don't think You have the authority to forgive my sins. Father, even though You gave Jesus all authority to forgive sins, I don't believe in that authority. I don't respect that authority. So I'm going to wallow in my guilt and wallow in my condemnation because, Jesus, I don't think You really have the authority to forgive me. Isn't that serious? It's a serious thing to doubt the Word of God and to disobey the Word of God. And there have been many times when I've done it, when I've doubted the Word of God. And yeah, I know God says He'll provide for all my needs, but when the budget gets tight, I'm prone to doubt. I know that God says I can come freely through the blood of Jesus, but when I'm aware of my sin, I'm prone to doubt that Word of God. And when I doubt, I'm saying, Jesus, You didn't have the authority to tell me that. You didn't have the authority to say You could forgive my sins or that You were going to provide for all my needs. You didn't have the authority, and it's like a slap in the face to Jesus. That's convicting to me. As I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking of all the times when I wouldn't say with my mouth, Jesus, you don't have authority over me. I wouldn't say that because I believe in the authority of Jesus. But by my actions and by my doubts of God's Word, I'm saying functionally, Jesus, I'm not respecting your authority here. And it honors God. Here's how we can honor God. It honors God when we throw all our trust and all our weight, and all our hope, and all our faith, and all that we are trusting in on the promises of Jesus. When we trust in the promise of, promises of God so fully that we say, look, I don't know how all this is going to work out. I don't know what the future is going to hold. I can't see my way out of this. But God, I believe in Your promises. I believe in Your faithfulness. I believe in Your love for me. That honors God. It doesn't honor God when we doubt the words of Jesus. It honors God when we embrace the promises of God. Listen to this quote by Charles Spurgeon. I love this. He's talking about the promises of God. And he says, As you read them over, the promises of God, as you read them over, one after another, you say to yourselves, This is my checkbook. I can take out the promises as I want them, sign them by faith and present them at the great bank of grace and come away enriched with present help in time of need. That is the way to use God's promise. 
This is my checkbook. I can take out the promises as I want them, sign them by faith, present them at the bank of grace, and come away with help in my time of need. Isn't that a great way to think about it? The words of Jesus, spoken with the authority of God the Father, they're like our checkbook, and we go to God and say, Father, presenting this, You promised me strength in my time of need. I'm presenting this to You, and He'll honor it. I love thinking about God's promises that way. Jesus speaks the words of the Father with the authority of the Father. And we can embrace and trust and hope in those words. We can stake our lives on those words. And if we doubt those words, we're disrespecting both Jesus and the Father. Because Jesus speaks with the Father's authority. Now the question can come up, okay, well, this is all great, but how do we really know that Jesus speaks with the authority of God? I mean, a lot of people don't believe in the authority of Jesus. So how, how can I know that Jesus speaks with the authority of God? And in answer to that, look at verse 17. Jesus answers that question. He said, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. In other words, if you truly want to understand Jesus, if you want to make sense of Jesus, you have to come to Him humbly, fully willing to do whatever He calls you to do. If you come to Jesus and you're willing to submit to the authority of Jesus, then Jesus will make sense. The teachings of Jesus and the authority of Jesus will make sense. And you will understand that Jesus really does speak with the authority of God and you'll know that you can trust Jesus. But if you come to Jesus to evaluate Him or to analyze Him, and to say, well, I'll see about Jesus. I'll see whether I like what He has to say and maybe I'll take what I like and discard what I don't like. Well, then Jesus will not make sense to you. You're not going to understand Jesus. Most people today, they seem to treat Jesus like a buffet. And they come to Jesus and it's like, alright, well, I kind of like that whole loving part. I'm all into the loving part of Jesus, but I'm not so into the sexual purity part of Jesus. I'm into the love your neighbor part, but I don't like the part about taking up my cross daily. And they pick the parts that they like, like a buffet, you get a little bit of this, a little bit of that, I'll take some of this on my plate, and then we discard the rest. And it doesn't work like that. With Jesus, if you want to understand Jesus, and if you want to truly know the living God, you have to come to Jesus Christ and be willing to submit your life to Him. Whatever He calls you to do. Jesus isn't like, like a lab specimen that you can sort of pick apart and analyze, and oh, hey, look at that little nice little thing in there. It doesn't work like that with Jesus. He's the true, living, almighty Son of God. And He offers you free forgiveness. And He offers you eternal life. But if you want to know Him, you have to submit your life to Him. There's no other way around it. You must be willing to follow even the hard words of Jesus. Because Jesus speaks with authority. He has the authority of God the Father behind Him. And we have to submit our lives to Him. Now that can sound... Harsh. I know that that can sound abrasive, but I just I want to tell you something. Jesus is the most wonderful ruler in the universe. Jesus is the most gracious, wonderful ruler. And look down at verse 18. I love verse 18. It says, The one 
who speaks on his own authority, seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. In him, there is no falsehood. The world is, isn't the world just full of people trying to make a name for themselves? Trying to promote themselves and their agendas and their plans and their politics and their books and their music and their political plans and we've got organizational consultants and love doctors and self-help gurus and religious teachers and politicians all trying to get our attention, all trying to get us to like their Facebook page, all trying to get us to follow them on the internet and everyone's trying to get our attention and it's hard to know who to trust and who to believe, isn't it? Doesn't it feel like, you just feel like, who can I trust? Who can I believe in? It's not like that with Jesus. He wasn't seeking His own glory. He wasn't pushing His own agenda. He wasn't trying to build an empire for Himself. His mission was to honor God by living a sinless life and dying in our place and then rising again. That was His mission. His passion was to honor God and speak God's truth. There's no double talk in Jesus. There's no like hidden agendas that are going to come out in Jesus. It seems like with politicians what a lot of times happens, and this isn't against politics by any way, but it seems like what happens is, you know, we've got the Republican candidate race happening right now, and you've got all these people running to be nominated as president, and everyone's trying to dig up dirt on one another. And so you've got people dropping out of the race because something came out that they did, and, and you just feel like, well, who can we trust? And you know what? There's no falsehood in Jesus. Isn't that reassuring? No falsehood. No double talk. No hidden agendas. That is so reassuring to me. I can entrust myself to Jesus. That's a person I can entrust myself to. There's not a drop of falsehood in him. He's not going to go back on his promises. He's not going to take back a single word. All of his words, all of the words of Jesus, are 100% backed by the authority of the Father. And in the middle of your darkest, deepest trial, the words of Jesus cannot fail you. They won't fail you. They are 100% sure and true. And you can rest on them and trust them and hope in them. And they can be your rock. You know, there's been times when with my little girl Karis, I've had to go back on things I've told her we would do. You know, I've told her we would go to the park and we'd go and play at the park. And then for whatever reason, whether it's because circumstances or schedule change or the weather was bad, we can't do it. And one of the saddest things to me is when I see her face and she realizes I've had to break my promise to her. That breaks my heart. And I'm so, but what I'm reminded of is I'm so grateful that Jesus isn't like me. I'm so grateful that his words are true. And there's no falsehood in Jesus. And there's no backing out with Jesus. There's no forgetting of promises with Jesus because Jesus seeks the Father's glory. And so everything He does is true. And we can entrust ourselves to Him. And we live in this mushy world that has made feelings the final authority. Isn't that the world we live in? We live in a world where everything is based on how you feel about something. And everyone does what feels right. And if it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, don't do it. And all of our decisions are made about based on how do we feel about certain things. And when I think about that, I think, I don't want to live in that kind of world. 
That's a really terrible kind of world to live in. I want to live in a world that's solid and with something I can hold on to. I want to build my life on something sure that's not going to give out from under me. I want to know that I don't want to just feel like I'm forgiven. I want real forgiveness, don't you? I want true forgiveness. I, I, when I go through a trial, I don't want to just have some sort of feeling helping me feel better. I want the truth to pierce through the darkness and to guide me in the way. And we have that in Jesus. Praise God, we have it in Jesus. There's no falsehood in Him. We can rely on Him. His words are true. He won't disappoint you. He won't let you down. He won't tell you one thing and then do another thing. And so often, we're tempted to live by our feelings. Isn't that true? Aren't you tempted so often to live just by how you feel? And we trust in our feelings more than we trust in the Word of Jesus. That's such a temptation for me, and I do it all the time, but here's the thing. Our feelings are full of lies. Our feelings are full of falsehoods. Your feelings will lie to you. They will deceive you. They will trick you. They will tell you one thing when something else is true. And they will tell you things that are not true and that contradict the Word of God. And so I want to ask you a question, and I need to ask this this of myself. Every day, whose authority do you live by more? Do you live by the authority of your feelings, or do you live by the authority of the words of Jesus? Your feelings will tell you that you are stuck. Your feelings will tell you that you cannot change. Your feelings will say to you, you're never going to overcome this sin. You're stuck in this. You blew up at your kids again. Man, you are a loser and you are stuck. But Jesus says in Romans 6 that sin will have no dominion over you, that sin will not rule you. So the question is, who are you going to believe? Whose authority at that point, in that moment, will you believe? Will you believe the authority of Jesus or will you believe the authority of your feelings? Your feelings will tell you that there's no hope for your unsaved relatives. They're too hard. They're too far gone. They've committed too many sins. Sorry. It's hopeless. Here's what Jesus says, though. Jesus says in the Bible that God desires that all men will be saved. And that no one is too hard for the power of the Gospel. So in that moment, when you are tempted, whose authority will you believe? The authority of Jesus or the authority of your feelings? Your feelings are going to be in your face. Feelings are a bully. They're a bully without power, actually. Because they can't do anything to you, but they will scream at you. They will be in your face, and they will try to tell you what's true. And when your feelings are in your face, you need to say, back off, because I'm believing right now in the authority of Jesus. Isn't that a much better way to live? That's how I want to live. I don't want to be dominated by my feelings, because if you, if you want to live a, a roller coaster, un, unhappy, dominated by your emotions life, then yes, live by your feelings. But I don't want to live that way. I want to live under the authority of Jesus. Your feelings are going to tell you that you're condemned for your sins and that you can't come to God and that God rejects you. But in Romans 8, Jesus says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The condemnation is in your face, but in that moment we say, no, I don't believe in that authority. I believe in the authority of Jesus. I'm not condemned. 
That's how I want to live. Every day we must let the authority of Jesus rule us, not our feelings. Now I'm going on a little Spurgeon binge here, so let me give you one more quote from Spurgeon. I just like how he says things. He's just, he's the best. He says, What right have you to set up your feelings against the Word of Christ? What right have you to set up your feelings against the Word of Christ? You have no right to do that. You can't set up your feelings against the authority of Jesus. You can't let your feelings take authority. Jesus is the one with authority. What, and, so that's a challenge to me. What right do I have? I don't have any right. I submit to the authority of Jesus. He's the final authority. His words carry the authority of God the Father. And my feelings are always subject to His authority. So this week, as you go out, let this question be ringing in the back of your head. Whose authority am I going to follow? The authority of feelings or the authority of Jesus? Now in all this discussion, Jesus wants to make something really clear to the people who are listening to them, to Him. He wants the people that are listening to Him to know something. And that's this. Being religious does not mean that you know God. Jesus is trying to press this home on people. Many people heard Jesus speak, but not many people accepted His authority. And so Jesus wants them to understand that there's a reason why they don't accept His authority. There's a reason why they don't believe His teaching is from God. And so look down at verses 19 through 21. Jesus said, Has not Moses given you the law? Yet, none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Now this is a little bit confusing, so let me just try and give you some background of what's going on here. Jesus asks this rhetorical question, has not Moses given you the law? It's rhetorical because of course Moses had given them the law. The law of Moses was the very center of their faith. And they, the Jewish people, said that they loved the law of Moses. And that was what they tried to keep. And that was what they based their lives upon. And the law of Moses was sacred to the Jewish people. And what Jesus is trying to show them here is that even though they claimed to be religious and to love the law, that they didn't really know God. The reason that the people didn't understand Jesus is because they didn't really keep God's law. Their will was not to do God's will. And so first Jesus talks to the religious leaders, the ones who said, these were the guys who, they were the big shots when it came to religion. And so he's talking to the religious leaders, the people that said they love God's law the most, and he wants to show them that they don't keep God's law. And so he says, why are you trying to kill me? And what he's referring to is in John chapter 5, if you... If, you look back there, you'll see Jesus healed this guy who had been paralyzed for 38 years. And he healed this man on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was a commanded day of rest for God's people. And when the re religious leaders saw this happen, they had a royal flip-out session at Jesus. Because Jesus had the audacity to tell this guy to pick up his mat and work, which was considered to be work on the Sabbath. Jesus had the crazy audacity to tell this paralyzed guy to get up, pick up his mat, and go home. That was considered to be work. Wait, the Sabbath is a day of rest. Jesus, what are you doing? And the Jewish leaders, they were angry, 
And that was when they first started plotting to kill Jesus. Plotting to murder Jesus. Murder is sin. Murder is breaking God's law. The Jewish leaders were planning on breaking God's law by murdering Jesus. And so what Jesus is trying to show them is, look, you've got all your religious trappings, you've got all your claims about being religious, but you're not doing God's will. You're not submitted to God's will. You're trying to kill me. You weren't committed. They weren't committed to obeying God. They were committed to their agenda. They were committed to their, protecting their religious position and to protecting themselves more than following God's law. So Jesus is calling them out saying, why are you trying to kill me? But most of the people, they didn't know what the religious leaders were up to. They, didn't, they had no idea what was going on. And so when Jesus says, why are you trying to kill me? They think that, they don't know what he's talking about. They think that he's talking about him, that, that he's trying to call them out for killing them. They don't know what he's talking about. And so they think he's going crazy and they think that he's possessed by a demon. And they say, you're crazy, you're possessed by a demon. But Jesus won't let them off the hook. He wants to show them too. Oh, you think you're religious? Well, let me show you. So he says, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Jesus did one work, he's talking about when he healed this paralyzed man, and the people marveled at him. But this wasn't a good kind of marveling. We can take the word marvel and think it was like, a, whoa, that's amazing, Jesus, good for you. That's not the kind of marveling he's talking about. This was marveling like the religious leaders were doing, that Jesus had the guts to tell this guy to break the law on the Sabbath, that Jesus, who does he think he is to tell this guy to pick? I mean, come on, this guy was paralyzed for 38 years. Couldn't he have waited for one day longer? And Jesus had the guts to tell this guy, pick up your mat and walk and go home on the Sabbath. Didn't Jesus realize what he was doing? But the problem wasn't with Jesus. The problem was with the people. And so Jesus says to them, look at verses 22 to 23. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? And what Jesus is talking about is the people of Israel were commanded to circumcise baby boys on the eighth day after they were born. And if that eighth day happened to fall on the Sabbath, it was decided that it was okay to circumcise even on the Sabbath, even though that would have been considered work because the law of circumcision took precedence over the law of the Sabbath. And the reason that was was because people believed that circumcision it perfected the child or it brought the child to completion. It was the final completing act with the child being born. Made him complete. And so Jesus is like, guys, Look, why, why are you so angry at me for healing this man on the Sabbath? You see, you say it's a good thing when you make a little boy whole on the eighth day on the Sabbath. I made a man's entire body whole. I completely healed this guy. I made him whole, and yet you guys are getting angry at me. I fulfilled the Sabbath so much more than you try to fulfill the Sabbath. And why is Jesus making this point? Because He wants them to see that even though they have God's law, even though they're religious, even though they probably go to the synagogue, they are not submitted to God's will. That's why they don't understand Jesus. Because they're not following God's will. If they really understood God, they would, understood, they would understand Jesus. And they would understand that Jesus speaks with the authority of God. 
And in verse 24 it says, Jesus says to them, Don't, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. In spite of having all the religion that the law of Moses gave them, they just couldn't judge things correctly. And this goes back to verse 17 when Jesus said, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. They couldn't judge things correctly because their will was not to do God's will. Even though they had the law of God, they didn't seek to do God's will. So what does this have to do with anything? What does this seemingly odd discussion about the law of Moses and circumcision, what does this have to do with us? Well, the point is this. Being religious does not mean that you know God. And my guess is that in this, this room, there's a lot of people who grew up being religious. Grew up going to church. Grew up maybe going to church regularly. But what Jesus wants you to know is that being religious is not enough. The people listening to Jesus, they had the Son of God standing in front of them. They were looking at the Son of God and yet they could not even recognize who He was. That's because being religious isn't enough. Going to church doesn't mean that you know God. Having Christian friends doesn't mean that you know God. Even reading the Bible does not mean that you know the living, true God. So how can you know? How can you know if you know the true, living God? Because this is an important question that every one of us needs to ask. I want to challenge you to ask this. I want to challenge the teens to think about this question. A lot of you teens grew up going to church. You're religious. But do you know God? Well, Here's the question. In Romans 10.9, this is what it says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you come to Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus, I am confessing You as my Lord. I am submitting to You as King, as Ruler, as King of Kings. You are my King. My life is going to orbit around You. You can have 100% of my life. You can have my friends, my relationships, my job. I will do what you call me to do, and if ever my desire comes into conflict with your desire, you win, Jesus. And I believe that you died for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the dead. And I'm putting all my trust in you, Jesus. And if you do that, you can be 100% sure that you know God. That your sins are 100% forgiven. Not 99% forgiven. Jesus offers 100% forgiveness. He offers eternal life. He offers spiritual life. And you can know that you really do know the living God and that you're not just religious. There's no point in being just religious if you don't know God. Jesus wants you to know God. Isn't that good news? He wants you to have your sins forgiven. And you can be right with God. And so if you've never done that, if you can't say that Jesus is your Lord, well, I want to challenge you today. Don't wait any longer. Don't put it off. Because Jesus commands every person to repent and believe in Him for forgiveness of sins. It's not enough to just be religious. You have to submit to Jesus' authority. Because Jesus speaks with the authority of God. And so this week, as we go out... This should be encouraging to us. Let's let our lives be based on the authority of Jesus this week. 
on the words of Jesus, on the unshakable words of Jesus. For those of you who are in a trial, can I encourage you, go here. Go here and let this shape you. Let God's words, let Jesus' words shape you. I was talking to a person this week who was in the middle of a lot of really bad stuff. But you know what amazed me? They were doing so well. And you know why? Because they kept going here and saying, God, help me. I'm believing your word. My life seems pretty awful right now. But I'm believing in this. And it was amazing how well they were doing. I want to be like that person, don't you? I want to go out of here and I don't want to let my life be ruled by the ups and downs of my feelings. I want to let my life be ruled by the words of Jesus who speaks with the authority of God the Father. Isn't that what you want to do? Let's pray. Let's ask God to help us do that. If I could have the worship team come on up. Let's all stand together. Lord Jesus, we praise You that You have authority. You have all authority. The Father has given You all authority, Jesus. And Jesus, we are grateful for Your authority. We submit to Your authority. We hope in You, Jesus. We trust in You. We thank You that You give eternal life and You give forgiveness of sins. And Lord Jesus, we trust in Your words. We stake our lives on Your words. I pray for those right now who are in the midst of a difficult situation. Encourage them, Jesus, please, right now with Your promises, with Your Word. Strengthen them, encourage them, refresh them. And Lord, I pray this week, help us live based on Your Word, Jesus. That's what we want. Help us live this week hoping in Your Word, above all, in the authority of Your Word, Jesus, above all else, above our feelings, above our circumstances. We want to rest in You. Thank You, Lord Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.